particular song, Come As You Are, sung by David Crowder. David made an interesting choice at the end of that song to have it, to give it an unresolved note. Most songs are resolved at the end with a major key within the family of the key that it is being played in. But that was resolved with an F uh, to the seventh. So it was an unresolved note. And Crowder did that on purpose. Because the song is about an invitation that is still open and remains open to all who would come. The invitation of Jesus Christ to come to him for life is always open as long as we have breath. Amen. Isn't that beautiful? We choose to resolve it by our decision to come to him or not to come to him or to die in that condition. But God doesn't. He leaves the note for us unresolved. Isn't that beautiful? Done on purpose by David Crowder. By, by the way, look, look that up on, uh, you, on, on Google and take a look at the picture of Crowder. He's a fascinating character. Looks like he crawled out of the backwoods of Tennessee. But uh, he has a heart for the Lord and sings some beautiful, beautiful worship music that we enjoy down here. Middle Texas is actually where he's from. A uh, good Texas redneck, that's what he is. And so uh, he's got Ed's beard on steroids is what he's got. And yeah, and... Uh, a little crazy looking, a little crazy, but some of the best worshiping saints are a little crazy in the head. They really are. John chapter 15. John chapter 15 this morning for our thoughts. Normally we interpret the words and statements of Jesus Christ according to our own prejudices, according to our own bents. And normally we get it wrong. Normally when we read the words of Jesus Christ, we take it from our own, well, shall we say, degraded view. Usually you can get the right statement and idea from Jesus' statements by reversing that. To me, it looks like in John chapter 15, if you'll scan your eyes down to verse 20, oh, 22, you may read this as the ultimate gotcha moment. But it's not what he's saying. Listen to him. He tells his disciples, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Now again, ultimately we think this is the great, Oh, I came, I spoke, I gotcha! I gotcha! You're guilty now. It's what I wanted all along. If you read it that way, you need to reverse it and get God's perspective on the, on the deal. Notice he said, if I had not come and spoken to them, not about them, not at them. When Jesus approaches us, the sinner, he comes and speaks to us. Sometimes Christians are guilty of talking about non-Christians about them rather than sharing the gospel with them. But Jesus never does that. He speaks to them. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, 
God is not talking about you to other Christians. He's directly speaking to you because he loves you. He doesn't text you. He doesn't tweet you. He doesn't email you. He doesn't get on Facebook and talk about you. He comes to you and speaks to you. I love that, don't you? Now, if you'll notice in verse 22, if I had not come and spoken to them, how respectful is that to us? How gentle and loving. Then they would have not been guilty of sin. What is Jesus saying? If I had not come, the King James says, they would have not had sin. Well, this is one of those places in the Bible, if you take it strictly, literally, you're in trouble. Because we had sin before Jesus showed up and spoke to us. Uh, if, if we didn't, Sodom and Gomorrah, God owes them an apology. And the people of Noah's day. Jesus is saying, I have come, and now they have the privilege of being guilty of sin. One of the greatest days of my life was at age 19 when I became guilty of sin. Notice it's in the singular, not the plural. Not guilty of sins, like all the stuff I was doing as a 19-year-old sailor. Guilty of sin, singular. Of rejecting Jesus Christ. Of not allowing the authority and love and mercy of God to rain down on me. Of going my own way, doing my own thing. What a great day when I became guilty of that. Because the alternative of of Him not coming and not speaking is that we're not guilty of sin. So we don't know we have sin. So we're without sin. So we die in our sin. So we go to eternity without Him in hell. Thank God He came and spoke. The the, the whole concept of being guilty in sin, what a blessing that is. What a joy that is that my eyes were open to my sin. This isn't the gotcha moment. This is the thank God moment. I spoke to them and now they have been guilty of sin. What sin was that? Well, I mentioned it, the rejection of Jesus Christ, of the perfect man. Do you you know that if Adam had not sinned, we would walk on water? When you look at the life of Jesus Christ, you see what man would have been like if he had not sinned and developed his natural life into a spiritual life, therefore taking the life of God on him, this is what we would have looked like. This is the standard. The way he spoke is how we would have spoken with grace and love and mercy. What he did, we would have been able to do. Things look wonderful until the perfect standard comes. Then everything else is seen in the light that it really is. Evolution says that man is becoming something, something magnificent someday. The Bible looks at man and says, what an utter ruin of what he was intended to be. Man shouts, evolution. Jesus Christ shouts, revolution. I have come to revolutionize things by coming as the perfect standard, 
speaking words that no man has ever spoken before, claiming to be someone no man has ever claimed to be before. I am the perfect one. Come to me. I got an invitation in mail last week. I don't know who it's from. I really don't. I know by the size that it's an invitation, and just for you, I have not opened it to this day. I want to see where it's from. I'm very excited. This is a sealed envelope. I am pumped. This could be to anything. Baby shower, wedding shower, who knows? A bar mitzvah, who knows? It could be just about anything. I'll read it for you. You have been invited to a banquet. And at that banquet will be all the leaders of the world, the prestigious, the famous, the powerful, the magnificent, the all-healing ones of this world, I'm not interested. But the invitation that I'm interested in is the invitation to come to the one perfect one. Dare not rip that one up. Notice he goes on to say in verse 22, but now they have no excuse. Whoever hates me, hates a strong word, but that's the word he uses there. Because not to love him is to hate him. With John, there were very few gray areas. Not to have life to John was to have death. Not to walk in light for John was to walk in darkness. And here, not to love God and love Jesus Christ is to hate him. There's no middle ground. That's not a fence you sit on very comfortably. Whoever hates me hates my father also. Just, just in a sidelight, there is no God but the God of the Bible. There is no God that doesn't have Jesus as his son. Here in one single statement, he has wiped out every other religion, every other cult, every other approach to the father. But, but do you understand how shocking this stuff is? Do you understand how revolutionary and radical his, what he said is? He that hates me hates my father. And then he goes on in the next verse, verse 23, 24, says, For if I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not have been guilty of sin. Well, what works did he do? He raised the dead. He healed the sick. He walked on water. He fed 15,000 with a few fishes and loaves of bread. He did things that validate that he was all that he said he was. Now, over the centuries, in fact, for thousands of years, men have tried to separate the Jesus of ethical teaching from he who was a miracle worker and claimed to be God. Basically, the line goes well like this. We love his ethical teachings. In fact, they're some of the best, if not the best, in all the world. But Jesus never made a claim to be God. You can't find that, they say. Not only that, after his death, the apostles made up this story called the resurrection and then began to attribute to him statements that he never made. 
fabricating a story for their own ends, that he was God in the flesh. Thomas Jefferson was one of those men who took a razor blade to the New Testament, leaving only the red words that he wanted. And after he got done razor blading the New Testament in what's called the Jefferson Bible, he wrote a letter to John Quincy Adams, or John Adams in 1813. And this is what he wrote, that the teachings of Jesus Christ were the most sublime and benevolent code of morals that has ever been offered to man. And yet he was not God. There have been many. C.S. Lewis answers well when he writes this in his book, Mere Christianity. C.S. Lewis writes, This is the one thing that we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would, would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell itself. You must make your choice, Lewis writes. Either this man is, was, the son of man, or else he is a madman, or something else. If I had not come, he says, and done the things that I have done, then they would not have been guilty of sin. But I have come and I have said these things. Verse 25. But the word that is written, I love this, in their law. <laughs> it was his law too, but at this point, you know, it's like a father to a mother. You know, when the kids are acting up. Go spank your child. It isn't that it's not their child, but at this point, he's saying, look what's written in their law. And then he quotes out of Psalm 69, and he says, they hated me without a cause. The actual verse says, back in Psalm 69, it says this, that more than the hairs of my head are those that hate me without a cause. Countless thousands. Now, you can imagine the wide-eyed apostles at this time. You can imagine they feel set up. I mean, they followed a man, they followed a Christ, and here he is, he's going away, and he says to them, they hate me. He's already told them if they hate me, they'll hate you. The things that they've done to me and will do to me, they'll do to you. You can imagine their eyes getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Look at verse 26. This promise is made in the context of danger, in the context of unpopularity, in the context of those who preach the true gospel will be run out of town, called before councils, persecuted by the religious, hated by the lost, despised by this world. But look what he has, look who he has given us. Verse 26. But the helper, the Pericles comes whom I will send to you from the Father. And in the midst of all the lies that swirl around you, notice what he's called. He is called the Spirit of Truth. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? The Spirit of Truth lives in us in the midst of lies and confusion and hatred. That's quite a promise, isn't it? He didn't leave us alone. 
When you got saved, the Spirit of God came inside of you. He lives within you. He's not going anywhere. He's the Spirit of truth. He is the helper. He is the one called alongside of us to encourage us, to bolster us. Sometimes he's called the comforter in the New Testament. Sometimes you get the idea of a comforting blanket. Oh, it's more than that. He's the encourager, the power. He who gives you the strength to say it and do it when you need to. And live that life. Notice he proceeds from the Father. And he will bear witness about me. Now look at the last verse 27. This is about the most amazing verse in all the text that we read this morning. And you also will bear witness. Who will you bear witness to? The ones who hate him. The ones who he's trying to win. The ones who he throws out an invitation where the, where the, the note that resolves the peace is still open. Can you imagine the God of the... Can you imagine Jesus Christ offering his hand of love and mercy to those who spit at him, hate him, abuse him, because one day they may come to Christ. May we never give up on any person outside the family of God. They may be rooming next to you in heaven someday. Terry's pretty convinced I'll have a house full of cats next to me. I even got a note from her cats. you believe that? I got a note from her cats saying that God, yes, God loves us and we'll see you in heaven. Those who you think will never come to Christ, maybe are right on the verge, maybe you are this morning, maybe you are right now on the verge of coming to him who holds his hand out, who leaves the piece of music unresolved. That's the witness, that's, that's our God, that's our Savior, that's the Holy Spirit that lives in us. Let us in mercy and kindness and love Never turn our nose up at anyone in any situation for any reason. They are created in the mercy. They are created by the God who loves them. And the Spirit of God in us loves them too. And the note remains unresolved.